All right. Hey, welcome to Soma. I'm Josh, one of the pastors. Thank you guys for uh, for being here today. As Casey said, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we are in uh, about our third uh, our third week in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, one of the uh, most well-known passages uh, of Scripture. Um, this is a sermon that Jesus preached at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And so Jesus lived 30 years of life just in relative obscurity, uh, grew up in kind of a, a backwoods town, um, was a blue-collar uh, worker, grew up in a very poor family. Um, and, and, and Jesus has... has, has uh, been baptized. He's gone out into the wilderness. He has started to call followers to himself. And he goes to this, he goes to this mountain, this hillside in Palestine, and he begins to roll out what he thinks is the good life. What he thinks is the kingdom of God. And he says, this is what I've come to do. And so the, the, this, this, this passage, this sermon, uh, chapters five through seven of the Gospel of Matthew are Jesus coming on the scene and saying, this is what I have come to do. This is the beginning of my ministry. And it's one of the most well-known passages uh, in the entire Bible. Even if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, um, you've probably heard some of the words that come out of this sermon. This is where Jesus gives us uh, something we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's where He teaches us to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's where he warns us against judging others. Matthew 7, 1, judge not so that you will not be judged. This sermon is filled with, with beautiful, compelling teaching that, that Christians and non-Christians have found attractive for the past 2,000 years. And one of the reasons that it's so well known and so timeless, I think, is because what Jesus is doing here is he is answering the fundamental question of human existence. He is answering a question that we all have lurking in the back of our minds, a question that frankly drives everything that we do in our life. Here's the question. He is answering the question, what does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be fully alive? How do I live the good life? This is the universal question that human beings are trying to answer. How can I have full, flourishing life? How can I have a life full of love and joy and meaning? Because in the end, that's what we're all after, isn't it? Whether you're conservative or progressive, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're religious or irreligious, irreligious the one thing we all want is we all want to be happy. Blaise Pascal was a philosopher in the 17th century and he wrote about this in his famous work, The Pensees. This is what he says. He says, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. We all want happiness. We all hunger for happiness. Some of us pursue it sometimes in healthy, constructive ways. And then sometimes we, we pursue it in, in destructive ways. Often we're not even conscious. Often we're not even thinking about the way that we are pursuing happiness. But at the core of our beings, we are all chasing happiness. And that's how Jesus begins the sermon. That's how Jesus begins His ministry. Isn't it interesting here? When Jesus comes on the scene, He doesn't come on the, come on the scene and say, alright, let me show you how to be religious. 
He doesn't come on the scene and say, let me show you how to be a good, upstanding member of society. He doesn't come on the scene and say, let me roll out my plan for political power and cultural influence. He comes on the scene and He says, let me show you how to be happy. Let me show you the good life. Let me show you the life that you were created for. The life that is truly alive where there is fullness of joy and happiness. That's what he's talking about when he uses this very first word in the sermon. He uses it eight times over and over. Blessed, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, that's a word that, that, that we're not real familiar with today. But this idea of, of blessedness, this idea of, of receiving this blessing of God, this, this would have been uh, very analogous to the idea of happiness or the idea of fullness. But it wasn't just like, okay, I feel happy right now, but it was the idea of a flourishing life. It was the idea of a life that really mattered, a life that was fully alive. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what the good life looks like. And then he rolls out these eight statements that are often called Beatitudes uh, in the history of the church. Eight statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. He says over and over again, this is what the fully human life looks like. Now up to this point, first word of his sermon, I'm hanging with Jesus here. Because I want to be happy. Because I want the good life. I want to be fully alive. But then Jesus starts talking crazy. And he starts saying crazy things like, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who, who are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Happy, this, this verse, verse 4 that we look at today, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. That is so upside down. Jesus says, I am bringing my kingdom, but my kingdom is a paradoxical kingdom. It is an upside down kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom where the poor are the kings and queens. Where the mourners are those who are happy. And we look at these beatitudes, we look at these statements about the good life, and we say, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are grieving. Happy are those who are absolutely undone by their sorrow. What Jesus shows us in these statements is that the things that will ultimately make us happy are the things that you and I tend to run from. He says you will never experience true happiness until you learn to be sad. You will never experience real joy and fullness and flourishing until we learn how to mourn. Because true happiness, he says, the happiness that I'm offering you is, 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 not, some, is not some veneer of happiness. It is a realistic happiness. It's a broken-hearted happiness. It's not escapism. It's not religious platitudes. It's not some defense mechanism where we bury our head in the sand and pretend that the world isn't burning around us. This is the happiness I'm talking about is the happiness that enables you to take a good, hard, honest look at the world in all of its brokenness. To grieve deeply the fact that you are not the way that you should be and that things in the world are not the way that they should be. He says, but in the midst of it, but in the midst of it, I'm going to give you a comfort and a hope and a flourishing, and a joy, and a happiness that can't come any other way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So so today I just want to look at three simple truths from this passage about mourning and comfort and happiness. First, we're going to see why we should mourn. Second, we're going to see why we can be comforted. And third, we're going to see how we can comfort others. Why we should mourn, why we should be comforted, and why we should comfort others. 
First, why should we mourn? Now, when we're, when we're talking about mourning here, I don't know that we really have the idea uh, of what mourning really is. Um, mourning is not just, I feel a little bit sad. Mourning is not, um, I teared up a little bit as I was watching This Is Us this week. Um, not that that ever happens to me. I'm just saying hypothetically speaking. Um, mourning is not just I've got a little sense of... He's talking about a deep grief. In, in, in Jesus' day, people would mourn in very demonstrative, very public ways. They would wear sackcloth, which is this cloth that was intended to, to irritate your skin because it would remind you of how broken things were. They would cover their head with ashes. They would cover their head with dust. They would literally sit on hills of ashes in the middle of the streets, weeping and crying out as everybody walked by because they were completely undone by their grief. And they said, I just got nothing left. And Jesus points to that and he says, those are the people who will be comforted. Those are the people on the road to happiness. That would have been completely counterintuitive in Jesus' day. And I would submit to you, it's probably even more counterintuitive and more countercultural in our day. Because as modern Americans, we have systematically engineered our lives to avoid mourning. We don't want to feel sad. None of us want to feel sad. We don't want to feel pain and brokenness. And we have more escape mechanisms than any people in the history of the world. We lose ourselves in our smartphones. We throw ourselves into our work. We numb ourselves with our substances. We drown our sorrows in alcohol or pornography or Netflix. We run from one, gener- from one relationship to the next. We do whatever we have to do to get over it and to move on. But no matter how fast we run or how far we run, we find that we can't escape that pain that keeps dogging us. We simply don't know how to mourn. We know how to rage, okay? We know how to vent. We know how to fire off an angry tweet or a Facebook post. And we know how to withdraw. We know how to escape. We know how to run away from, from, from the brokenness. Recent study back in 2015 showed that um, despite all of, our, all of our understandings of physical and mental health, of all of the resources that we have available to us, Americans are still now drinking themselves to death at record rates. We live in a society that is filled with outrage on the one hand and is filled with escapism and cynicism and withdrawal on the other hand. Because we have never learned to mourn. We've never learned to deal honestly with pain and brokenness. We keep calm and carry on. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who have learned to cope. He doesn't say, blessed are those who have learned to get over it and move on. He doesn't say, blessed are those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the heartbroken. Some of you are really uncomfortable with this right now. Uncomfortable with this whole idea of mourning, of being heartbroken, of grieving. Especially uncomfortable with this in church. Because you came to church today and you're expecting the motivational pick-me-up. You're expecting all the stuff that's going to make you feel good and make you feel happy about the coming week because what you have implicitly believed is what Mark said, that, that religion is the opiate of the people. But when you really pay attention to Jesus, what you find out is that Christianity is not the opiate of the people. Christianity is the smelling salts of the people. Christianity wakes us up to the reality of brokenness in the world in which we live. 
And Jesus here is inviting us to be honest about that. He is inviting us to stop playing psychological and religious games. He is inviting us to simply be honest and to wake up to the reality of the world in which we live. And when we wake up to that reality, we will find that there are a lot of reasons to mourn. That's just being honest about the world we live in. I mean, have you watched the news the last five years? It feels like the world is on fire. And we we mourn over that. We mourn over the brokenness in our world. We mourn that racism and sexism still persist in our country. We mourn that powerful men still harass and use and abuse women with impunity. We mourn the epidemic of gun violence that we see right here in our city. We mourn the fact that people continue to walk into schools and churches and shoot and kill indiscriminately. We mourn the fact that as we worship here in freedom today, our brothers and sisters around the world are meeting in secret because they could be arrested or tortured or beheaded if they were found out. We mourn the fact that as we gorge ourselves on turkey and stuffing this Thursday, 26,000 children around the world will starve to death in a single day. And we mourn the fact that this is just simply the world as we know it. We mourn the fact that this is nothing new, that it has been this way since Genesis 3. This is what it was like in Jesus' day. This is how it is today. But it's not how it's supposed to be. That is not the way God created the world to be. That's why we mourn, because we know that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we are mourning because we are longing for God to make it right again. Let me me just say this. Uh, Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Every week we have folks who are seekers, who are skeptics, who have questions about Christianity, who are exploring faith. And and maybe you're asking some of those questions. We love that folks are exploring those questions here here in our gathering. So let me just invite you to think about something. Let me ask you, why does it bother you? Why does it bother you when you see something wrong in the world? Why does injustice or oppression or racism or, or violence make you angry? Because if there's no God, if if we're just here by a cosmic accident, if we're nothing more than a random collocation of atoms, then there's there's really no intellectually honest way to critique what you see. There's no standard for what ought to be. There's no intellectually honest way to say this is not the way that it should be. It's just the way that it is. Racism just is. Sexism just is. Rape and torture and mass shootings and genocide are not right or wrong. They they just are. And there's no reason to think that it should be any different. But see, you and I both know that that's not true. You and I both know that this world is terribly broken, that something is deeply wrong, and we are longing for it to be made right. And you might not even be used to thinking about it in this terminology, but the fact is you are longing for what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. That's what, it's, that's what the Bible means when it's talking about this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus calls it here. It means that God, the rightful king, is going to come back, he's going to set all things right, and he's going to make all things new. It means that we are a mess and the world is a mess because we have tried to be the kings of the universe, because we have tried to do things our way rather than submitting to God, the rightful king. And so when God comes back and when God reclaims the throne and when he reestablishes his kingdom, he brings in a world of fullness and life and flourishing and things are made right. And we mourn in the present because we are longing for him to do that. We mourn pain and suffering in the world out there. But it hits a lot closer to home, doesn't it? 
We mourn pain and suffering in our own lives. Some of you right now in this room are mourning very specific hurts in your life, in your relationships. Some of you aren't mourning and you should be mourning rather than just trying to ignore it. Some of you this week are going to be confronted with these very things. We're about to to get into the holiday season. And what do we typically do at the holidays? Typically at the holidays, we just try to pretend that everything is happy and bright and throw a Yule log on and drink wassail and wear goofy sweaters and all the stuff that we do around Christmas time, right? And around, around the holidays. But there's a deep pain that a lot of us experience around the holidays, isn't there? Many of you are going to start experiencing that this week. You're going to travel to to spend some time with your family over Thanksgiving. And somewhere in between the turkey and the football and the awkward political conversations, you're going to get conf- <laughs> that's a real thing too. You're going to get confronted with with some deep pain, deep pain from your past, deep pain from your present. Might be abuse, might be neglect, might be just some unfulfilled expectations, some some wall that that seems to be there between you and your family. Maybe there's an empty seat where a loved one used to sit and, and, and they've died recently. Maybe it's the fact that that loved one never sat there. That you never knew your father. That he walked out on you when you were young. Maybe it's the fact that this is your first Thanksgiving since your spouse left you. See, our, our relationships are so broken. There are so many reasons for us to mourn. And what we typically do, what people typically tell us is, all right, well, pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. Put on a happy face. Things will get better. Have another drink. It'll be all right. For many of us, we have never learned to experience the comfort of God because we've never learned to mourn. We need to mourn. This brokenness, it is good and right and honest for us to mourn. Mourn the brokenness in the world. Mourning the brokenness in our relationships. But then it gets a little even closer to home because we begin to mourn the brokenness in our own hearts. See, one of the reasons I'm convinced that we don't know how to mourn is that when we really pay attention to the brokenness in the world, we realize the brokenness is not just out there. It's in here. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. We see large-scale oppression out there, but we see small-scale oppression in our own hearts. I see ways that I try to use other people to get what I want. We see racism or sexism or classism out there. But then we look at our own hearts and we see ways that we try to make ourselves feel superior to other people. And when we take an honest look at that, that can be really scary. Because it is easier, it is more comfortable to fire off an angry tweet than to pay attention to the brokenness in our own souls. It is easier to condemn others than to be honest about the sin in our own hearts. But if we ever really want to experience this comfort of God, then we need to learn to mourn brokenness and sin wherever we find it, even when it hits really close to home. We've got to learn to mourn. We've got to learn to be honest about the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in our own lives. That's something we don't do well as a society. But it's also not the end of the story. That would be really depressing, right? If we just closed right now and went home. That would be a really depressing way to look at life. Yes, blessed are those who mourn. We need to learn to mourn. But the flip side, why we can be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. Some of us here need to learn to mourn. Some of us need to get our heads out of the sand and pay attention to the brokenness in the world. But some of us, some of us need to learn to be comforted. Some of us need to recognize, yes, I'm broken. And yes, the world is broken. But God has stepped in. 
Yes, there is this truth of, 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 of brokenness. There is this truth of mourning. But there is also the comfort that Jesus gives us. Mourning is the road to happiness. Not because it's an end in and of itself. Mourning is the road to happiness because it opens us up to the comfort of God. It opens us up. It shows us nothing else in this world is working. And so I need to receive God's kingdom. I need something better. And then Jesus steps in here and he says, and I have come to give you something better. When these original hearers heard this, these were people in deep suffering. These were people under deep political oppression. These were were Jews who were living under occupation and oppression in the Roman Empire. And they had literally been part of seven centuries up to that point of foreign armies invading and taking them out of their homes and raping and pillaging and murdering and taking their land away and taking away their identity and their dignity. Systemic, generational, just having having the, the heart ripped out of them. They're mourning. And they're longing for something better. They're longing for the Messiah to come and to drive out the Romans and to free them from their oppression and to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And then Jesus shows up and He says, the kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. The one that you've been longing for, the fulfillment of your hopes and dreams and expectations, I am here. But I'm not going to fulfill your hopes and dreams and expectations. Because your hopes and your dreams and your expectations are too small. The things that you think will ultimately make you happy will never make you happy. Because you need something better than political independence. Because you need something better than an earthly kingdom. Because you are hungering for something that this world can never give you. Because you are hungering for the kingdom of God. That was true for them. That's true for you and me. He teaches us to mourn because He wants to give us something better. You and I need something better than the perfect marriage. You and I need something better than a well-adjusted family. You and I need something better than our dream job. You and I need something better than physical health and sex appeal and financial well-being. You and I need the presence of God. Psalm 34, 18, one of the most beautiful promises in the whole Bible. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Lord has come near. The Lord has literally stepped into our world. I have entered into your mourning with you. I didn't stay in the throne room of heaven where it's nice and safe and comfortable and just tell you, okay guys, you're going to be alright down there. Just be strong. No. He says, I have stepped into the broken world and I have experienced your brokenheartedness. Man, that's the only thing that really takes you through deep grieving. Through deep mourning. Because sometimes in life you walk through painful things and there is no good answer why. You you don't see any silver lining. can't think of any kind of reason God would allow it. The fact is God doesn't offer us, promise us all the answers. And the truth is, even if you had the answer, it probably wouldn't help you all that much. Jesus promises us something better than answers. He promises us Himself. He promises that He is entering in with us. Some of us in this, in this room carry scars and wounds that, that will possibly never heal during this lifetime. You might be able to move on. You might be able to press forward. But the pain keeps coming back and you're never fully over it. And Jesus calls you blessed. Blessed are you when you can't get over it. 
Blessed are you when the pain just keeps coming back. Blessed are you who carry these scars and these wounds. Blessed are you who mourn because you will be comforted. Because I'm going to meet you in your pain. I'm going to bring a comfort. My presence brings a comfort that nothing else can give you. It's not just empty words. It's not just telling us it's going to be okay. He steps in. He suffers with us. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. Jesus experienced it. He experienced poverty. He experienced homelessness. He experienced oppression. He experienced rejection. He experienced false accusations. He experienced slander to his character. He experienced his very best friends abandoning him in the worst moment of his life. He experienced torture. He experienced death. He experienced his father turning his back on him and forsaking him. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of God. Maybe you think of some, you know, old man with a gray beard sitting up there on the clouds. Maybe think of, of some like impersonal nebulous force out of a Star Wars movie or something like that. Maybe think of an abusive stepfather. But Jesus shows us the perfect picture of God. He shows us the crucified God. He shows us the suffering God. He shows us the God on the cross. He shows us the God with the scars. That's where you and I can find comfort. In the midst of real suffering and real heartache, the God up there in the heavens watching us from a distance, that God is absolutely no use. What you and I need is the crucified God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during World War II and was part of, a, of, a, of a, a, an assassination plot against Hitler that, that failed. And so he was arrested. He was sent to a concentration camp in Flossenburg. Um, he was executed two weeks before the Allies liberated the camp. And in the face of unimaginable suffering and oppression and evil, in the face of the gallows, in the face of the gas chamber, Bonhoeffer says, I don't know what else to do. There's only one thing that can help. Bonhoeffer says, only the suffering God can help. Only the suffering, only the crucified God can help. If you've been around here, you've heard me share this poem before. It's by a man named Edward Shalito. Uh, it's called Jesus of the Scars. And it's, here's the very last stanza. Says the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The only hope for broken people living in a broken world is a broken Savior. Savior who was beaten, broken, tortured, killed in order to make us whole. That's the God we worship. That's the God who offers himself to you. That's the God we hope in. Our God is the God with the scars. Prophet Isaiah tells us, we read this earlier, that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was well acquainted with grief. And that he didn't just suffer with us. It's not like Jesus is another fellow sufferer who's over here and misery loves company and we can all commiserate. It's, it's that Jesus was, suffers with us and Jesus suffers for us. He suffered in our place. Isaiah 53, He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds we are healed. That's the good news. That's the hope for broken people living in a broken world. Jesus mourned so that we could be comforted. Jesus experienced the ultimate grief so that we could experience the ultimate happiness. 
Jesus bore our sin and bore our punishment that we deserve so that we could find the happiness of the presence of God. Because that's ultimately the only place where true happiness is found. Psalm 1611, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Jesus experienced the grief of being cut off from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the grief of being cut off from his father so that we could have the happiness, so that we could have the joy of being children of God. He experienced that. He died for our brokenness and our suffering and our sin. And that's not the end of the story. Because he rose again to conquer our brokenness and our, and our suffering and our sin. He says, not only am I with you in the midst of your brokenness, but I am going to overcome your brokenness. The resurrection shows us beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is going to make everything sad come untrue. He says, I'm going to overcome your brokenness, the brokenness and the oppression in the world and the brokenness and sin and oppression in your own heart. I'm going to overcome it. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to set all things right and I'm going to make all things new and I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And even in the midst of our pain and suffering, we know that God is with us and we know that one day He's returning to set all things right and to make all things new. When you, when you recognize that, you can be honest about your pain. You can be honest about your suffering. You can be honest about the ways that you've been hurt. And yet at the same time, you can be honest about your hope. You can be honest about the fact that this is not all that there is. That one day, He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And you can have joy in the fact that He is with you even in the midst of it. Now, I say that, but that's really hard to remember, isn't it? I mean, when you're walking through the difficult times, when you're walking through those dark times, it is hard to see that truth. And that's why we need each other. That's why, as Pastor Brandon said earlier, that's why we need the community of faith. That's why we need one another. That's why we gather here on Sunday. That's why we gather in missional communities and discipleship groups throughout the week. That's why we need to be in one another's lives because we need each other. Because I forget that sometimes when I'm walking through the hard times. And you forget that sometimes when you're walking through the hard times. And we need each other to be the tangible comfort of God to one another as we're walking through the hard times. One of the most important things for us to understand as we're walking through mourning is that sometimes God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. That He wants to use us not just for ourselves, but He wants to comfort us so that we can comfort others. And that's the third thing we see, how we can comfort others. Yes, we need to learn to mourn. Yes, we need to learn to be comforted. But God doesn't just want it to stop there. He wants to use us to comfort one another. So when Jesus is preaching this sermon here, he's giving us a picture of the kingdom of God. He's saying this is what it will look like when the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth. This is what life in my kingdom looks like. It's a kingdom where the poor in spirit are kings and queens. It's a kingdom where the meek inherit the world. It's a kingdom where those who mourn are comforted, where the heartbroken find hope and healing. And one day he's going to bring it in his fullness. But guess what? Jesus has already begun his kingdom. He has already started His kingdom. He has already inaugurated His kingdom. The church is the beginning of Jesus' kingdom. And do you, do you realize that? This group of people in this room, with all of our faults and our failures and our struggles and our inconsistency and our pain and our immaturities and our suffering and our sin, we are the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. We are the place where the kingdom of heaven has come down to earth. 
And if that's true, then our life should look like that. Our life should look like this vision that Jesus lays out here in this sermon. We should be a place where the poor are valued as kings and queens. We should be a place where those who mourn can find comfort. We should be a safe place where it's okay not to be okay, where we don't have to have all of our crap together, where we don't have to pretend that we are better than we are. A place where those who are mourning can be real about their pain and a place where they can find real comfort and healing. That's what Jesus' kingdom looks like. That's what Jesus' people ought to look like. We receive the comfort of God and we extend the comfort of God to others. 2 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul says, as I was walking through some of the worst times in my life, this verse gave me so much comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And this is what He does. He comforts us in all our affliction so that, here's the purpose, so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What are you saying there? Is he saying that as you're walking through the most difficult times of your life, as you're walking through those hard times where you can't figure out what God's doing or why He's doing it, God comforts us. God is present with us. God pours out His comfort on us so that He can pour it out through us to other people. Do you realize that pain, that heartache that you're walking through right now, or that you've walked through in the past, or that you will walk through one day, it's actually bigger than just you? That God is doing this so that He can do something in you and so that He can do something through you. He may be comforting you as you walk through these times, not just so that you can be comforted, but so that you can be part of comforting other people, giving hope to other people in the midst of their hopelessness. Last week, the the ladies of our church gathered together to share stories uh, at our women's storytelling night. Eighty-five women from across our congregations were there. And five, five women in particular shared stories about how God's been faithful to them, about how He's comforted them in the midst of divorce, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of loneliness and heartache and pain. Now, I know that these women would never have chosen to walk through what they experienced. And yet all week I've been hearing stories about how God used them. About how God used their pain and the comfort that God gave them to give hope to other women. See, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God, that's what it looks like in the here and now. That's what we're about as the church. Listen, we're not the smartest group of people. We're not the people who have it all together or who do everything perfectly. We are broken people pointing other broken people to the healer. We are beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We are the mourners who are broken, who are heartbroken, but who are being comforted by Jesus. And we pray that not only would that, that, that wouldn't just stop with us, not just that He would comfort us, but that He would use us to comfort others so that people in our city, people in our neighborhoods, people in our matrix of relationships, people who you're going to sit around the dinner table with this week at Thanksgiving so that we can be part of extending that brokenhearted happiness to them. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Those who are brokenhearted. Blessed are you for you will be comforted. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's why we do this every week here at Soma. Because this meal, this simple bread and this simple, simple cup is a reminder that God is with us. 
It's a reminder that He gave His body and His blood for us. That that He gave His broken body for broken people. This is just a bunch of beggars who are hungry and thirsty and who are desperate for the bread of life. And so if that's you, if you're, if you're trusting, not if you got everything together, not if you're the perfect person or the, 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 the model of, of what you think a, a religious person should be, not if you feel like, like everything is perfect in your life, if, if, if you need Jesus, if you're trusting in His death and resurrection to bring you to God, then come and eat and drink today. We've got stations at the front, we have stations in the back. Simply come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and return to our seats. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you're here like, like I was talking about earlier. Maybe you're just exploring these things and you've got questions. And we invite you to remain in your seat while others come to take the bread and the cup. It's not because we think we are in any way superior to you, but it's simply because this, this meal is a recognition that we are trusting, that we are desperate people who are trusting in Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And so we'd encourage you, don't do the perfunctory religious thing. But just ask yourself some questions. What's keeping me from trusting in this God? Do I believe this about God? And if so, what's keeping me from trusting in Him? Maybe you've got intellectual questions. Maybe you've got uh, just some emotional baggage that you need to deal with. Whatever that is, uh, I would love to speak with you after the service if that's where you are. So let's pray and then let's take the Lord's Supper. Father, um, we recognize that, that there's so much brokenness in the world. There's so much brokenness in our lives. There's so much brokenness in our relationships. So much brokenness, uh, not just out there in the world around us. There is so much brokenness in our own hearts. The way that, the way that we use others to get what we want. The way that we try to make ourselves superior to other people. The way that, that we're selfish and we, we so often are only thinking about ourselves. Father, we confess that, that we have, have tried to build our own kingdoms. We've tried to be the kings and the queens of the universe uh, rather, than, rather than living under your rule. God, thank you that you didn't just leave us by ourselves, that you didn't just let us go down that path to destruction by ourselves, but thank you that, that you've stepped in. You've stepped into our brokenness. You've stepped into to our suffering. That Jesus took our sin on himself, died in our place, and rose again to bring us to you. And we don't have anything to offer you. We don't have anything to bring to the table. We, we simply come because we're, we're beggars and we need the bread of life. We need the body of Jesus broken for us and his blood shed for us. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen.